This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians chapter 4. Tonight we're going to be concluding a study uh, in this short but rich book book of the Bible. And I want to be clear from the beginning... Uh, I know it's December, but this will not be a Christmas message, all right? I don't want you waiting, holding on, waiting for that Christmas part to come in and then be disappointed at the end, okay? But I do trust that it will be a challenge to us and it will help us tonight. Uh, Before we dive into this last section of Colossians, I want to ask you a question. How important are friends? How important is it? that you and I have friends. Uh, In 1 Kings 19, the prophet Elijah asks God to let him die. He's had a great victory on top of Mount Carmel when God sends fire from heaven to consume the offering that he's put on the altar there. And then Queen Jezebel threatens to kill him, and just like that, he goes from victory to defeat. Uh, He quickly loses all hope. He quickly decides that it's best for him to just die. Why such a drastic change? How could he go from this great victory to all of a sudden he's in the depths of despair? How did Elijah end up so low so quickly? Well, there are a lot of different things we could talk about there, a lot of things we could go into with the story of Elijah, but here's what he tells God at Mount Horeb. He meets God there. God asks him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And Elijah responds, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I, even I, only am left. Among other things, Elijah was lonely. Especially when we feel lonely, we can all develop what I like to call Elijah complex. Where we feel like we're the only ones who are really trying to follow God. We're the only ones who are really standing for truth. We can begin to feel like it all depends on me or it all depends on my group. And if I fall or if we fall, then there's going to be nobody to, to raise the truth after us. Well, that's where Elijah is emotionally here. And God deals with Elijah in such a wise and gentle way. And again, we're not going to go into all the details of this story here, but I think it's really interesting here that as God meets with Elijah, he gives him a job to do, and he gives him a friend. He brings a man named Elisha into Elijah's life because God knows that there's nothing quite like a friend walking alongside us to give us strength to continue when trouble comes. God understood that for Elijah, there was a great deal of importance for him to have this friend who would walk alongside him. As we turn our attention back to the book of Colossians, tonight we're going to be considering Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. And uh, I want to explain something here. As we come to Paul's letters, they often follow a certain structure. So he begins with a greeting, which often includes praise to God, and we find that in chapter 1 of Colossians. 
Uh, Paul then transitions from that greeting into some doctrinal teaching. We find that in chapters 1 to 2 of Colossians. And then from there, he moves on to very practical teaching that grows out of that doctrinal uh, understanding. So in Colossians, that transition happens kind of at the beginning of chapter 3 and then carries through to the beginning of chapter 4. Then Paul will often conclude his letter with a personal note. So he'll say, you know, so-and-so says hi. I want you to say hi to so-and-so for me. And this is the, that's where we find ourselves tonight in verses 7 to 18. And once we get to this point in Paul's writing, we can often kind of zone out a little bit. We say, all the teaching's done, okay? We've learned all the doctrinal teaching. We've learned all the practical teaching. Now here's the stuff about people that we don't really know anything about. You know, this is the personal part between Paul and these people. And so, you know, we can just kind of zone out, read, try to read through these names we, don't, we can't really read, and, and we'll move on to the next letter. But I do think as we look over these verses, we'll find some valuable truths, particularly has to say to and about his friends. I find it really fascinating and instructive as we look at each of these names. Um, I don't want this to be too scattered this evening, but I do want to take time to look at each of these names that Paul talks about here and kind of pull on the string a little bit and see what we can understand about these people and what they meant to Paul and what we can learn from them about this matter of Christian friendship. So let's begin. We'll take a look uh, at Colossians 4. Let's begin with verses 7 and 8. There Paul says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. So who is this guy, Tychicus? Well, Paul calls him a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. It's also clear here from what he's saying that uh, Tychicus is one of those who's traveling to Colossae to deliver this letter to the Colossians. So as they're reading this letter, Tychicus is there. He's brought the letter from Rome to Colossae, delivered it to the Colossians. And so Paul's saying he's going to come, he's going to tell, tell you all about what's happening here, and uh, he's going to uh, send my comfort to you. Tychicus is, was also the man who delivered the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He's mentioned in Acts, he's mentioned in 2 Timothy, he's mentioned in Titus, and I'm not going to read all those verses, take time with all those passages, but it does seem clear that uh, this man made several trips for Paul, he delivered letters, he checked up on churches for Paul, uh, he was a big help to him in the ministry. For lack of a more illustrious term, he was, for Paul, an errand boy. But Paul considers Tychicus a friend. But he also finds him very useful. And that might seem odd. We could even think of it as, some people might think it sounds manipulative. You know, he's calling this guy a friend just so he can use him. That's not, that's not the truth of what's happening, of course, here. But I do think it teaches us something about friendship. And that is the right kind of friendship is often an admission of weakness. It's saying, I need help. Paul needed help. I mean, very practically, 
he's imprisoned. He can't deliver this letter himself. He's got to have somebody else do it for him. That's not a small ask. Now, there might have been a reason that Tychicus was already traveling to Colossae. I don't know. But he's asking this man to do this work for him. And this is a repeated thing. And Paul was willing to ask for help. We can often think that it's spiritual to be the strong one, to be the one who's always giving and never receiving. But Paul was willing not just to serve others, but he was willing also to be served. And for some of us, that's the hardest thing. We're happy to serve others all day, but to ask other people to help us, it takes a lot of humility, doesn't it? This is a friendship of service, but for Paul, it's not service given, but service received. And I want us to understand, it's not spiritually weak to ask each other for help. There are certain stages in life, there are certain situations where we feel that need more than others. But the fact is that we all need help from one another. That's why God has given us each other. To help each other, to strengthen each other. And so for us to admit that we need help is not an unspiritual thing. Paul depended on Tychicus for help, specifically here traveling to Colossae to deliver this letter. Um, But there was another man who was also traveling to Colossae uh, who accompanied Tychicus on this trip, and we meet him in verse 9. Paul says, With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So there's this other man, Onesimus, and Paul calls him a faithful and beloved brother. Now Onesimus is particularly interesting because we know a little bit more about him from another letter that Paul wrote to a man named Philemon. And Philemon was a well-to-do believer in Colossae, uh, and he had a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away, By God's providence, he met Paul. Paul befriended Onesimus. He shared Christ with him. Onesimus trusted in Christ as Savior. Paul grounded him in the faith. And then he sent him back to Colossae with a letter addressed to Philemon. And that letter we have in our Bible as the book of Philemon. Um, And I'd love if we could spend the time to read through that letter and study through it. But obviously that's outside um, our study for tonight. But Paul writes this letter to Philemon, encouraging Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a brother in Christ. And it's a wonderful letter. It teaches us a lot about Christian love. But that's this Onesimus that's right here. And it's actually possible that as Tychicus and Onesimus make their way to Colossae with this letter, Colossians, Onesimus may also be carrying that other letter, Philemon, on the same trip. We're not sure. It might have been two separate trips. It might have been on the same trip. But he might have, where they're carrying that letter to the Colossians, but he's also got this other one that Paul's given him to deliver to Philemon. Paul has poured himself into this man, Onesimus. He's loved him. He's shared Christ with him. He's taught him. He's grounded him. And I think this is a great biblical example of someone discipling someone else. Paul leads this man to Christ and then uh, he, he walks alongside him and grounds him in the truth. 
And I think that the way that Paul talks about him here teaches us something about what that discipleship relationship ought to be like. Because as Paul talks about Onesimus, here, as he talks about him in the book of Philemon, it's not that Paul's saying, here I am as the teacher, and here's Onesimus as the student. It's, here am I, Paul, and this is my friend Onesimus. This is my brother Onesimus. This is discipleship within the context of friendship. There's a real relationship that has been built here. And I think we ought to take this to heart as we think about trying to invest in the lives of others. To seek to build these sorts of relationships. True friendships. Not where we're just looking for opportunities to dispense wisdom and hope that some of those poor people out there can, can receive it from us but instead to say, no, I want to come alongside you. I want to walk with you. We're brothers. We're, we're sisters in Christ. And I love this example that Paul sets with Onesimus. So we've got these two men, Tychicus and Onesimus, two different men, two different relationships, but these are both valuable friendships to Paul. Now let's turn our attention to verses 10 and 11, where we meet three more friends. Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. So here are three more friends uh, from whom we can learn some more lessons about friendship. So first we have Aristarchus. Now Paul calls him a fellow prisoner. We learn from other passages that this guy, it's presumably the same Aristarchus, uh, was from Thessalonica, and he knew what it was to face trouble in the ministry. In fact, he was almost killed by an angry crowd in Ephesus in Acts 19. I don't know if you remember that story where the whole city's in an uproar. They kind of, they kind of pull Paul to the side and keep him out of it, but Aristarchus is one of those that's right in the middle of all of that. And... Uh, I'm sure fearing for his life as this mob is gathered together um, trying to uh, get rid of these people who are messing with their idolatry. He accompanied Paul on his journeys all the way to Rome and here we learn that he's imprisoned with Paul. And I think this is special because in Aristarchus we see a sort of friendship that can be really powerful and that is a friendship of shared suffering. The essence of all friendship is sharing. And the more significant the thing that is shared, often the deeper that relationship can become. Anyone who's been in combat or has served as a first responder or who has gone through some sort of a traumatic experience alongside other people, uh, you probably understand how deeply relationships can be formed with those alongside uh, whom you're experiencing that kind of pressure, that kind of difficulty. And that's one of the special gifts that God gives us in the body of Christ. The deep fellowship that we can share with others who have been through deep waters as well. Whether we're facing the trial alongside each other, or it's somebody 
who as we're going through the trial, they can come alongside us and they've been through the trial before us. And that's such a sweet thing when that can be shared. And when somebody, even as scripture talks about, they can minister grace because they've been ministered grace by God. It's a special thing. It's a blessed thing. And that's why, as hard as it can be to resist the urge to withdraw, the worst thing that we can do when we're going through deep waters is to separate ourselves from our fellow Christians. Prison surely was a lot brighter for Paul because Aristarchus is there too. He's not going through this alone. He's, I know there's other friends, but they're not imprisoned. But here's Aristarchus. He's imprisoned right alongside me. We're going through this together. In this verse, Paul also mentions Marcus. And this is John Mark. Uh, he was, as a young man, started on a missionary journey with Barnabas and Paul. And then early on, he decided to give it up. And as a result, later on, when Barnabas wanted to take Mark on a future trip with Paul, uh, Paul said, absolutely not. As Mark matured, though, it is interesting because we learn from this passage and others that he once again became part of Paul's circle. And in fact, as time went on, Mark became a valuable friend to Paul. Mark was used by God to author the Gospel of Mark, but we learn from this passage and others that he was also a help to Paul in his ministry. And this is a really interesting example of a redeemed friendship. If you'd asked Paul back in Acts 13, after Mark went home during that trip, whether Mark would ever amount to anything in the ministry he probably would have said, I don't think so. But Paul was gracious enough to be willing to see the growth in Mark's life. To see the fact that he'd left some of that immaturity, some of that lack of resolve behind him. Paul was willing to give him another chance. And it begs the question, are we? What does it take for me, for you, to write someone else off forever. Say, I'm done. What does it take for me, for you, to restore a friendship that was once broken? And are our criteria the same as God's? I wonder, would John Mark stand a chance with me? with you or would we say no I remember that trip we're done Barnabas you want to do stuff with Mark that's fine but he's not, he's not a part of my ministry anymore in verse 11 uh, we meet this other guy named Jesus who for obvious reasons got a nickname that would have been very confusing for the folks around there I'm sure uh, so we'll call him Justice Justice was also a Jew, and Paul calls him, along with the others, a fellow worker unto the kingdom of God and a comfort to Paul. And this is one of the people in this passage where this appears to be the only reference to him in all of Scripture. 
He's an unknown friend who comforted Paul and worked alongside him for the furtherance of God's kingdom. And that's all we get, and that's enough. Uh, I, I'm convinced that it's the unknown and even the unnamed who have done the most to further the work of Christ. People like this guy, who nobody has ever heard of. So Aristarchus, Marcus, and Justice all did their part as friends of, of Paul and as those who were working alongside him for Christ. In verse tw- verses 12 and 13, Paul continues. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. This is the second time that Paul has mentioned Epaphras in this letter, and with good reason. Uh, Back in chapter 1, he shares... um, it appears from the way that Paul expresses it that Epaphras was the one who brought the gospel to Colossae. Um, with letters like this, sometimes we can forget, we can just kind of assume that Paul was the one who went to Colossae, who evangelized, who started this church, and now he's writing back to them. The truth is, as far as we know, Paul never went to Colossae. It appears that Epaphras was the one who shared the gospel with these folks who grounded them in the truth, who taught them about Christ, he's the one who helped to establish this church. He's the one who came to Paul and told him about what's going on in Colossae. He's the one who shared that with Paul and Paul got excited and said, man, I need to write these people a letter. This is exciting what God's doing. I want to encourage them in that. I want to instruct them. I want to be a part of that ministry. But it was Epaphras who started it it was Epaphras who God used to, to uh, really make an impact in that city. And it was Epaphras who Paul talks about being filled with this, this zeal, uh, this passion for these people. And I can just see Epaphras as Paul is dictating his letter, you know, popping his head in and telling him, make sure you say hi to them for me. Um, and so he makes sure he put, puts this in at the end that, you know, Epaphras wants me to, to, to say hi to you for him. But... Epaphras deeply loves and cares for these believers. He's faithfully praying for them. There's a fervency and a zeal in his concern for them that they would grow and continue to follow follow Christ. Another friendship that means a lot to Paul, and this one um, is a friendship of shared ministry and shared a shared burden. You know, one of the wonderful things about Christ's body is how he burdens different people in different ways. And then he sharpens us all as we share those burdens with each other. Uh, an easy analogy is a missionary coming to present. You know, if it weren't for Josh and Sarah Wagar, how many of us would even know there was any such place in the world as Chuk? Without them, how many of us would have ever been touched, our hearts burdened for the people of Chuk? Saying, those people need the gospel. They need Christ. But when during the missions conference, Josh comes up here and he talks about their ministry and the deep need there and his burden for them is on full display, we can't help but be touched and say, you're right, Chuk needs Christ. And that burden becomes all of our burden. 
That's what happened with Epaphras. And I love that about uh, what God does in his body as we share those burdens with each other, it becomes something greater. It becomes something we can all be a part of as we pray and as we consider the part that God has for us to play. Burdens have a way of doing that, of rubbing off from one Christian to another. And that's a good thing. This is part of the iron sharpening iron effect our passion for Christ, our commitment to the work of God, our concern for others. It's like one burning log and another burning log being put together and all of a sudden the fire is greater than either one was before. That's Epaphras, sharing this burden with Paul. Moving on to verse 14, this is a short and simple verse, but Paul introduces two more friends. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Uh, Luke here is the man that God used to write the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, He traveled much with Paul. He remained faithful to Paul even when many others had gone on to other things. Um, In 2 Timothy 4, which it's interesting, by the way, to look at 2 Timothy and see how many of these names we see in both Colossians and 2 Timothy. But in 2 Timothy 4, which is the last biblical letter that Paul writes, he says in verse 11... Only Luke is with me. What a testimony of faithfulness. What a blessing that this man has stuck with Paul all through this time. Paul's ministry and his life are drawing to a close at that point, and yet how precious that this faithful friend is still there to help him, to comfort him, to walk alongside him as he anticipates the end. And what an what a illustration of, of the depth of love and the, uh, the, the deep joy there can be in uh, these sorts of friendships. Demas is another story. Again, in 2 Timothy 4, backing up just one verse to verse 10, Paul says this, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Now, there are others who have left Paul at this point for legitimate reasons to go on to other ministry um, or even being sent by Paul to other cities. But Demas, Paul kind of singles him out, saying that the reason he left is not for any of that. It's because of his love for this world. David writes about the pain that can come with this sort of betrayal in Psalm 41. In verse 9, he writes, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. He's probably referring here to Ahithophel, a man who he'd long counted as a friend and trusted advisor, who when Absalom staged his coup against his father, Ahithophel, um, instead of staying faithful to David, followed and helped Absalom. That hurts. And it pained David deeply to suffer that sort of a betrayal, a friend who had turned into an enemy. And this is a hard truth about friendship. There's a lot that's beautiful about us considering these relationships that Paul had with all these different people. But the truth is, it's not all roses. 
we see here in Colossians 4.14 an example of a successful friendship and a failed one. Because making friends means taking a risk. It means opening ourselves up to hurt. We have to be vulnerable to each other to develop true friendships. And that's what brings the potential for the deep sweetness of Luke's friendship. But it's also what brings the potential for the deep hurt of Demas' betrayal. And so we can be tempted to say the easiest thing is to just keep our distance. Don't be too vulnerable with anybody. But God desires us to build these deep, meaningful relationships with each other. And that's going to mean probably sometimes that there's going to be a Demas. But without us being able, being willing to be vulnerable, we can't build this, the sorts of, uh, the closeness that we see here that Paul had with these people. Paul goes on uh, in Colossians 4 to say, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house, and when this epistle is read among the, uh, I'm sorry, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time with this, but notice how Paul broadens the net here. He's including this other church in this other city. Sometimes when it comes to um, the Elijah complex that I talked about earlier, it's not so much about the individual. We can start to feel that way about our church. And we can think, we're the one lighthouse in Hampton Roads. And I know that I, I don't believe that's our, our perspective as a church family, and I'm grateful for that. But we can start to get this idea that it's, it's all about just this one group. We're the faithful Christians. And everyone else out there, you know, they don't really care. Paul is intentionally encouraging these people in Colossae to, to build, to um, develop this relationship with these other believers in this other city. Now, Colossae, Laodicea, and he also mentioned Hierapolis earlier, they're all very close to each other. And so it would be easy for folks from these cities to build relationships with each other, for these churches to, to co uh, cooperate with one another, to encourage one another. And Paul wants to see that happen. And so he talks about this letter to Laodicea. We're not sure about that. It, um, it, we, we obviously don't have that in scripture, but he's encouraging, you know, I want you to share this letter with them. I want them to share this letter with you. I want this, this communication to be going on. I want the relationship to be here. It is uh, normal, it's, it's natural, it's healthy that our most enduring friendships with other believers would be within the context of our own local church. But it's also proper and healthy for us to be friends with and a help to genuine believers who are outside our congregation. They might be in a different regiment, but we're all in the same army. And I'm grateful I, I, that I, I believe that's the spirit for, for many or most of you. I'm grateful for the good relationships that we have with other good churches in this area. The good fellowship there is. The desire to encourage rather than to, 
to compare and see each other as enemies. I, I'm grateful for what we have, but I think we need to give attention to saying, let's keep that up. Let's continue to nurture those relationships. It's not just about us here at Good News. God's work is going on all through this area, all through this world, and uh, we shouldn't lose sight of that. And we should make the most of those opportunities to encourage others. Paul mentions one more person by name uh, before he closes his letter. In verse 17, he says, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. It's not necessarily clear here why Paul singles Archippus out. Uh, He also mentions him by name in his letter to Philemon. Uh, He calls him there, Our Fellow Soldier. And it seems that, for whatever reason, Paul has a special interest, a special concern for this man. Uh, Some think that he was Philemon's son. We're not really sure. What we can see is that he is tasked with some ministry in the church at Colossae. And Paul's giving him a little nudge here. And I think the tone is not so much one of rebuke, but of encouragement. Um, Maybe Archippus is a young man, and Paul realizes he needs somebody, kind of like Paul came, came alongside Timothy and said, you know, strengthened him, encouraged him in the work as a young man. Uh, maybe Archippus is just beginning in his area of ministry and Paul just wants him to know that he's behind him. Um, he wants to see him succeed. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but we do see here a friendship of encouragement. Uh, we don't even know if Paul had ever met Archippus but he has taken an interest in him. He wants to do his part to help him, to strengthen him, to continue in his work. It's really interesting through these verses to see the variety among all these different friends. And I hope this doesn't feel too all over the place. There's so many lessons for us here. But the fact is, it wasn't all the same. The relationship that Paul had with these different people was unique. I think it's really instructive in how important these relationships were to Paul and how God used these different sorts of relationships in unique ways, in Paul's life and in the lives of these other people. And it's a challenge to me to ask, what am I doing to to cultivate these sorts of relationships in my life? Paul wraps up the book in verse 18. Uh, He says, The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. And I don't know exactly what it is about that verse, but it seems to me like it's one of those passages where the veil kind of gets ripped away from the centuries and we see Paul as he really was. Uh, No longer is he this superhuman man who's sitting bolt upright with fire in his eyes, thundering out the truth. Instead, he's a small, stooped man who's prematurely aged because of all that he's suffered. He's weak and he's very, very human. Paul is feeling his need for friends, perhaps, like never before. He's dictated most of the book, and then he gets to this part, and he now writes with his own hand. And he says, remember my bonds. 
I think that's Paul's way of saying, don't forget about me. Don't forget about where I am. You're on my heart, and I want to know that I'm on your heart. And this is another reminder that for Paul, these relationships were not one-sided. I think it's really helpful for all of us, but especially for those in some sort of position of leadership or spiritual authority, that Paul wasn't just this super spiritual leader who's just bestowing wisdom and giving out grace and never in need of help and comfort. Uh, Yeah, others needed Paul, but Paul also needed them. None of us are beyond our need for friends. So friendship matters, and I'm grateful for God's faithfulness to send friends into our lives. If we start to feel like this is all on us, that we have to find all the perfect friends that we're going to need in life, it just discourages us. Uh, I love the example of Jeremiah in scripture. Uh, We can often think of Jeremiah as this lone prophet standing all by himself for God with no fellowship, with no help. But God was faithful to send people into his life who helped him in key ways at key times. Um, God used men like Ahikam, Baruch, Zephaniah, Ebed-Melech, and Gedaliah. Now, these are people that many Christians know little or nothing about. You might say, I don't think that name's actually in the Bible. (laughs) I assure you, they're all there, and they were all people that God brought into Jeremiah's life at just the right time to help him, to be a friend to him when he needed it. And each of those relationships was unique. Each of those relationships was different from the other. But God knew what Jeremiah needed and God gave Jeremiah what he needed. And I'm grateful for that example and for the truth it reminds us of. Jeremiah stayed faithful for 40 plus years of ministry. And who can we give the credit for that? Well, of course all the credit goes to God. But Jeremiah needed these friends. He needed these people who kept him encouraged, who helped him through difficult times. And so do we, and I'm grateful that we can trust the same God to be faithful to us, to bring friends into our lives that we need. So the lesson from what we've considered tonight is simple. We all need friends. And this is a theme that's come up several times as we've studied this book. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. We need each other. And sometimes we feel that need more than others, but it's always true. If you think you're okay to go through your Christian life without building these sorts of relationships with others, then you need to think again. Now you might say, I'm on board with this. I, I, I would love to have these sorts of friends in my life. Where do I start? Well, if you find yourself craving these sorts of friendships, I encourage you first to begin by praying to, to the God who can providentially put those relationships together. Um, he has ways of doing that that are far beyond anything we could imagine. 
That's the first step. But I also encourage you to begin to reach out to others. Look for those who could use encouragement. Get involved in ministry. Ask for help from those who can help you. It takes humility, and we need to make ourselves vulnerable, but the reward can be amazing. And I think Paul's example here is instructive. You know, Paul wrote this letter out of a genuine desire to see these believers grow. He wanted to see them grow. He wanted to see them stay true to God. But he also wanted to create this connection. He wanted to form this bond. He wanted to build a relationship with these people. Who in some cases he'd never even met. And I don't want to say that Paul wrote this letter just because he wanted friends. But as he reached out to them, he did realize that he needed fellowship. He needed friendship. And he didn't just sit in his jail cell wishing someone would take interest. He reached out. And I don't want to oversimplify this. I don't want to suggest that as we look at the epistles that that's just Paul looking for friends. Absolutely not. But Paul did not sit back and wait for someone else to befriend him. He kept those connections. He built more through communicating with people. And we can sit and wish that people would come and befriend us. Um, But often, with God's grace, what we need to do is go out seeking to befriend someone else. I learned something about myself when I was in college. Uh, There are certain people when we would... um, time for a meal in the dining hall. Certain people could come, get their food, sit at a table, and in two minutes, that table would be filled with people. They'd be laughing, they'd be talking, having a great time. I learned in college that I was not one of those people. (laughs) I tried a couple times, and I ended up eating lunch by myself. And I was tempted to um, just feel sorry for myself and say, you know, why doesn't anyone want to be a friend? Poor little old me. And somebody, I don't remember who it was, where somebody encouraged me this way, where it even came from, but I received the encouragement when you need a friend to go out and seek to be a friend to someone else. And so what I started doing instead was um, looking for the most forlorn, lonely person in the dining hall when I came in there. And I'm not going to pretend that every time that I sought that person out and sat at that table that all of a sudden it turned into this great conversation and this deep friendship was built on the spot. But it did transform things. It transformed the way that I was looking at it and it helped me to look outward and it helped me to build relationships with other people. It's a really simple example, but um, I've been challenged many times since then and I'm challenged once again looking at this. That needs to be my attitude. Um, not waiting around, wishing that somebody else would take an interest in me, but seeking to be a friend to others. And this, this has been challenging to me, looking through this. Many of you, like me, probably don't make friends super easily. But I'm convinced that we can't afford not to ask for God's grace, and put in the effort to build healthy Christian friendships. And I get the sense that in Colossians 4, as Paul wraps up this letter, imprisoned in Rome, that maybe he's valuing these friendships in a way he may not have 
while he was going from city to city with the gospel. But how grateful he must have been for the time and work that he put into cultivating these relationships. And now as he's nearing the end, he's in this time of imprisonment, there are so many people who care for Paul, who are comforting him, who are helping him, who are alongside him. As we draw to a close, I do, because we're wrapping this whole study in Colossians up, I do want to back up just a little bit and remind us of really the theme that that ties this entire book of Colossians together. And this is also something really important for us to think about as we consider this this matter of friendship. As we've traveled through the book of Colossians, um, we've learned about hope, prayer, ministry, faith, our new life, the freedom we have, the mindset that we ought to have, our relationships with one another, our roles, and our relationship with outsiders or those who don't know Christ. But most importantly, and the theme that carries all the way through this book, the thing that binds it all together, we've learned about the centrality of Christ to all that we are and all that we do. A few things that Colossians reminds us of is that he is the one through whom we have redemption. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the creator of all. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the hope of glory. He is the one who holds the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is our life. And if you take to heart what we've considered about friendship tonight without realizing that the key to it all is relationships built on Christ. Friendship in Christ union through Christ, then it's just a waste of time. Friendship is fine, but it's not going to be this if it's not built on Christ. In order to be the right sort of friendships, friendships that are really going to strengthen us, grow us, make us more who we ought to be, they need to be Christ-centered friendships. And that applies whether we're building a relationship to share the gospel, whether we're growing a friendship with someone who we're discipling, whether we're building a friendship with someone that we want to help or with someone who is helping us. They all need to revolve around Christ. It is Christ who is our life. It's him who makes all these relationships the rich and wonderful friendships that they can be. I want to ask you to take a look with me again at Colossians 4, 7 through 18. I'll read through those verses in their entirety, and then we'll bow together for prayer. Paul says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you 
always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the sweetness of friendship that we can know in Christ. But I'm so grateful for the church family you've given us here. Thank you for the relationships that we have been able to build that we are building, that we will be able to build with each other. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to value those friendships as we should, to give our attention to building them as we ought to. And Lord, help us to keep all of our friendships centered on Christ. Lord, you have equipped us with everything that we need in order to faithfully carry out the work you've given us. And part of that is the people you've brought into our lives to encourage us, to comfort us, to help us. Lord, help us be grateful. Help us value that wonderful gift. And help us be faithful to continue to pursue those sorts of relationships for your glory. And Lord, we know that'll be an important part of you growing your church here and of you growing our effectiveness in uh, carrying out your ministry here. Lord, we love you. We thank you that everything that Jesus Christ touches is beautiful and is uh, amazing and is precious, and that certainly applies to our friendships. Lord, thank you most of all for the relationship that we have with you. Thank you that we can call you our friend. And Lord, I pray that you would help us draw near to you. We love you and we're so grateful for your gifts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.